We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Leslie Vernick, and today we're talking with Georgia Schaefer, a psychologist and professional certified coach and a dear friend of mine. Georgia knows what it's like to pick up the pieces of your life and begin anew after a shattered marriage. Her passion is to equip women through her online Christian community rebuild after divorce with the knowledge, skills, and encouragement needed to live a fulfilling life post-divorce. Georgia is going to share some very practical ways divorced women can move forward and create a new ending to their story. But first, Georgia, would you tell us your experience with rebuilding your life after the upheaval of your shattered marriage? Yes, I had a, a real upheaval because I was dealing not only with a shattered marriage, but health issues, which many people often go through more than one issue at a time. But for me, it started 34 years ago. I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, and then it returned six months later. And that's when I was told I had a 2% chance to be alive in 10 years. My son at the time was eight years old, so I had a 2% chance to see him graduate from high school. So I had all the treatments they recommended for long-term survival, chemo, radiation, and a bone marrow transplant. And at the end of those treatments, I was in remission, but barely alive. And so I could not go back to work because I was too weak and I had been separated and went through a divorce. So I went from a get it done woman teaching at Penn State York, going to graduate school to a single mom with, you know, taking all her strength to sit up in a chair and dealing with everything that comes when you're divorced, the financial issues, the insurance issues, uh, shared custody, all those things that we can face. So when that happened, I did not think my life would ever get better. I'd, I couldn't see it happening. I couldn't imagine it happening. So the idea of living a fulfilling life was truly foreign concept to me. But I learned that God can redeem those situations, but there's work we have to do. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the fear and the pain and the... Hmm. Were you a Christian at the time? I would have told you I was a Christian. Um, I had attended church growing up, but I didn't have that personal relationship until a year after the bone marrow transplant. And that's when I truly did have a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, Georgia, I, I'm really curious about this because so many of the women that we work with, you know, they're in a, in a divorce or they get a divorce, either they wanted it or they didn't want it, but it happened. And there's a lot of pain associated with divorce, um, anger, spiritual questions like, God, you know, I thought it was your will that I stay no matter what. And now I see all the damage that it's caused to my kids or questions about their spiritual life or what they thought they knew was true, wasn't feeling like not only can they not trust their husband, they can't trust themselves because what they thought was a good marriage turned out to be a sham. What, what do you do when you're all over the place emotionally that first year or two into this new reality that you're facing? Well, first of all, those emotions are intense. It's not like, oh, I'm down. 
Uh, I thought the sadness was going to kill me. And I thought my anger was going to kill someone else. <laughs> so to yeah. realize these emotions, uh, you don't really want to go through this alone. You, the last thing you want to do is isolate yourself. But many times people think they've grieved as they've been separated or heading through the divorce process. But even if you think you grieved, what I found when the divorce is final and you're in that different season, there's layers to grief. So the first thing I would say is choose to grieve because grieving is a normal reaction and you have so many losses uh, with the breakup of a marriage. Uh, it's not just one loss. So it's recognizing all the losses and recognizing you don't want to numb the pain. That's the one thing we want to do, you know, go on Netflix or, you know, keep busy. Find but a boyfriend. <laughs> exactly. That's what a lot of women want to do. I'll, I'll just numb my pain by finding a boyfriend. And it does numb your pain, but but you don't heal and grow. So the only way to healing, to live a fulfilling life, because short term, it might look like you've eliminated the pain, but you haven't. And so short term, you got to face those really painful emotions. And what is it you're experiencing? Because the more specific we can be, the more self-aware we can be of what we're dealing with and then work through those specific feelings. So let's talk about the anger for a minute, because at least in my life, Georgia, I have found that anger is a kind of a resistance to grief. Like I don't really want to grief because I'm mad at what happened. I'm not accepting what happened, whether it's the death of a friend or whether it's the death of a relationship or whether it's a loss of a job or, or a loss of an opportunity, a book contract, whatever it is. I'm not willing to accept that that's reality. And I'm mad that it happened versus grieving the loss. Like, I don't want to grieve that loss because it shouldn't have happened or it's not fair. Or I'm just stuck in that anger. How can someone work themselves through that anger stage? You said when you were angry, you know, you could have killed someone. And I think we all feel that energy that we're so full of this raw emotion that we're not sure what to do with it. Give us some practical ideas of what someone can do with some of this emotion. Well, first of all, anger is part of grief. Um, it's not just grieving. It's not just the sadness. You experience every emotion in the book. So you want some practical ideas of dealing with that anger. Well, you want to look how you're expressing it. You know, are you being sarcastic with people? Are you saying nasty things? Or are you thinking of constructive ways of working through that? It can be different for different people, but you want people in your life that will accept you as you are, who are not put off by that anger and fury, because it is pretty toxic. So you got to figure out ways that you can process some of that alone, whether it be journaling. For me, it was a garden going out. And when I was stronger, yelling at the plants for some people is biking or exercising, baking, cleaning. That can be another thing that helps people work through that anger, but it's real. And also, what are some other words? Like one of my clients said, well, she started out with anger, but then she realized she was 
bitter and that resentment because she had held on to that uh, anger and it became bitterness. And then as she talked about it, she used the word venomous. Well, that is a pretty graphic word for not just starting up in anger. So again, that more specific you can be, she realized, wow, if she wasn't dealing with that, she was really going to hurt all her relationships. And not only was she going to hurt her relationships, she's going to hurt her own health. I mean, oh. sometimes we think being angry is going to, you know, show the other person how they hurt us. But really, the person we we're drinking the poison. Oh, we're yes. drinking the poison. And so it is so important. Um, and I love that you say have friends who can accept you as you are, because we're not happy with where we're at. They're not happy with where we're at, but we have to have a little space to admit where we're at, like where we're at, just like you were at a 2% chance. You had a bone marrow transplant. You couldn't mother at the time you were in the hospital. I saw your picture of your big old bald head and or your little old bald head, but it looked big. <laughs> the picture. And, you know, you couldn't do what you would normally do because of what was going on. And I think sometimes we get mad at ourselves and we beat ourselves up. Like, why am I still feeling this? Or why can't I function? Or why can't I do what I normally do? This emotional pain sucks up a lot of energy, doesn't it? Oh, yes. You can't concentrate. You don't have uh, the physical energy. Everything seems overwhelming. Opening the mail was too much for me. And um, so you your resources are depleted and you just have to realize that. And it does take a while. So you've got to be um, accepting of yourself, you know, practice that self-compassion because that's one thing I remember. It took far longer than I thought it should have to deal with all those feelings and get to that place of accepting. Yeah, you wrote a book that I really loved, Taking Out Your Emotional Trash. I think that was the title of it. And you used the analogy of a soda bottle. Maybe that would help our listeners. Why don't you explain that analogy? Oh, yeah. Well, if I had a bottle of soda right now and I shook it up and you and I were in person and I'd say, hey, Leslie, do you want to open it after I've shaken it? Would you want to open it? No, because I would get full of full of Pepsi or Coke or whatever, right? Yeah. And so during these difficult times after our divorce, we're like a shaken up bottle soda and all that emotional pressure is inside. But if you wanted to open that bottle, what would you do? I'd screw off the top or open the top very, very slowly. Yeah. You just like would crack it a little bit and allow a little bit of that emotional pain to come out. And so getting back to the emotions that we're dealing with, we are the these this pressurized uh, emotions inside this shaken up bottle soda. And we can only deal with it a little bit at a time. Just like if I don't want to wear that soda, I would just open it and leave off the pressure a little bit at a time. And I think that's such a wonderful word picture of, or a picture of how, because sometimes I think we say, oh yeah, we need to let go of these emotions or we need to, but we're not sure how. And so I think that analogy of saying when you're so full of anger and resentment, um, it's going to hurt your body if you contain it, just like it is if you contain being, you know, sick with other things, but letting it out in a safe way, safe for you and safe for others um, is 
the best way to do that through conversations, through journaling, through painting, get a big can of black paint or get black markers and paint or just scratch just feelings on a piece of paper. Um, Take a brisk walk, dig in the garden and just dig hard and use some of that energy in, in ways that are constructive versus destructive. Yes, definitely. You want to express it in a constructive way. And don't go through this alone. Whether it be a coach, a counselor, or a group, find somebody who knows how to deal with these emotions in a healthy way. Because I learned a lot by watching others who modeled after divorce in a healthy way. I think that's really wonderful to say, because I think that when we're in a group of people, like in our conquer group, we have, you know, women who are going through maybe not divorce, they're still not sure, but they're certainly having a lot of emotions. And when they hear from other women who say, oh, you know, six months ago, I was just right where you're at and I'm not there anymore. It's like, oh, there is a path out. There is a way forward. Help me see the way that you're going forward or even just yesterday this is where I was and I did this and it really helped me today. Just having those other people helps you to feel not so shamed, so mm-hmm. alone, like you're some sort of bad person, unspiritual, godly, ungodly woman, because you are ready to, you know, hate someone or have bad words in your head about someone. Um, I think that anger stirs that up and we need to see other women who can say, yeah, that happened to me too. And here's how I dealt with it. Yes, and that's what we do at Rebuild After Divorce. When women are vulnerable and honest about what they're going through, when they say, I'm afraid if I feel all these feelings, it's the pain's going to kill me. But yet, Scripture says, there is a time. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Ecclesiastes talks about a season, a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance. So when you go through this, it feels like it's going to last forever, but it's a season and one day it will end. You know, one of the feelings that I think derails women who go through this the most post-divorce, post-crisis is loneliness. Oh, Loneliness is an epidemic in our country. Um, I think half the population are single nowadays and The ways that we used to connect, you know, 20, 30 years ago just aren't there anymore. And what have you helped? What have you found that helps to cultivate life-giving connections, especially with other women? Because I think loneliness drives us to be on dating sites looking for a connection or some affirmation like, okay, he didn't want me or he threw me away or I wasn't good enough for him or he, you know, was abusive, but I need someone to tell me I'm, you know, lovely and beautiful and feed my self-esteem. And so we start looking for those men to fill that emptiness, but that can be dangerous. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but how do we deal with that loneliness? Create a team around you. Well, who are the life-giving people in your life? And if you don't have any, again, reach out uh, to the people you're seeing that are handling difficult situations. You have conquer. I have rebuild after divorce. Join these groups because isolation and that loneliness is when you reach out and you just feel so desperate to end it. And so who are the life-giving people? And, you know, the truth is we don't always know what healthy looks like. But again, it's the people who accept you as you are, who will walk through you 
in this and not try to fix you and not try to give you advice. And then when you don't follow it, you know, well, they sort of leave. Well, you didn't do what I said, but they'll be with you and continue to walk in this. So it's the people who are energizing that you want in your life. And the people you don't want are the people that are life draining, that just take away or negative or critical. Because when you're dealing with divorce and beginning anew, as we already talked about, you don't have the strength. And now these negative people are taking what little you have. So you need to protect yourself, identify, get into safe air groups and friends and nurture those relationships and minimize the others. You know, Georgia, I'm going to get a little personal here because I've known you for a long time, over 20 years. And this isn't in her questions. I didn't tell her I was going to ask this, but if you could see Georgia, she is a beautiful woman. She's very attractive. She's been very attractive as long as I've known you, Georgia. And you've had plenty of opportunities to date and you have dated and you've met different people and some of them you thought may move forward. But one of the things that I really have admired about you and actually learned from you in this is that you have a, an amazing community of girlfriends and your life hasn't ended because you're not married. You've been to Paris, you've been to Israel, you travel with your girlfriends to the beach every day, every day, every year. Um, you live your life as full as you can with other amazing women. And that's a community that you cultivated in order to keep you from making stupid mistakes in marrying the wrong person because of loneliness. That's one of the safeguards you've had is you have good girlfriends who also can evaluate. I've been one of them. Like you say, what do you think of this guy? And you know, some of them are thumbs up and some of them have not been, but I think it's really important to build that sense of community with otherwise godly women who may be single, who may not be single, but there's a lot of women who are just sitting home lonely because they're not connecting with other women who are sitting home lonely. And you could build a life and do a lot of fun things. Share something about that. Well, yeah. And you know, here's the truth. When I became divorced, the only friends I had had been couple friends. I didn't have this community that you were just sharing with people to go on vacation, people to come alongside of me. All my friends were married. So it started little by little. I got in a singles group at our church and I met other women who were divorced. And then uh, somebody would know somebody else. And so little by little, and I did keep some of my married friends. Uh, two of my friends that I went to college with, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary, but they invited me. The five of us went out to dinner. So I did keep some of those friendships uh, of the married couples. But you're right. All my friends over the years have been cultivated, reaching out to others, um, people inviting me in. Uh, it did not happen overnight. And then when I realized how rich those friendships and that community is, when you share, that's a richness money can't buy. Yeah, yeah. And even women who are married sometimes need, and I do, 
female friends. You know, we, you and I have dinner together a couple of weeks ago and we need those connections because there's conversations that women have that just don't interest men as much and we need to go deeper on certain things. And so that's so important if you're listening to this, whether you're going through a divorce or you're living in a lonely marriage, find some female friends. It makes you far less vulnerable to being swept off your feet. What an incredible Conquer launch we had this month. Nearly a thousand women joined this incredible support group and are on the way to gaining confidence, peace, and strategy in their destructive relationships. If you are one of them, welcome and congratulations on making such an important step for you and your family. Maybe you're still in a place of wondering if your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or if it's really destructive. Leslie has a quick start guide that will help you answer that question. Not only that, if you find your marriage is destructive, this guide will have concrete answers on your next steps. Go to lesliebernick.com forward slash start to get your free quick start guide. And please know this, you are seen, you are heard, and friend, you are valued. How do you begin to... I don't know if you had this problem, but I, I think some women would struggle with trusting God again. You know, they've, they, I call it, they've punched their ticket. You know, when we were kids, you know, you'd punch a ticket with certain punches and then you get a freebie of something. And, you know, we kind of punch our ticket spiritually. We say, well, God, I've been reading my Bible every day. I've prayed since a child for the man I married. My husband, you know, was a Christian. He went to Bible college. He was supposed to be a missionary and he turned out to be a porn addict. And I didn't know that, you know, and I feel cheated. Like I feel cheated, God. You promised that, you know, life is abundant and I feel cheated that I didn't get that good life, that good marriage, that good husband. I got, you know, a lemon and he, you know, he was a fraud or he wasn't capable or whatever it was. And it's very easy to question God, to be angry with God. And you say that our spiritual well-being is fundamental to having a meaningful life. Share some ways that you cultivated that post-divorce. You were a new Christian, but how might women who might have been an, a longtime Christian, but now are questioning their faith and saying, God, I don't know if you're good anymore because I trusted you and I ended up with an awful situation. Yes, absolutely. I hear that all the time in rebuild after divorce. P women will have prayed and prayed and prayed, but God didn't answer their prayers. Uh, the way they wanted. He didn't intervene and they're disappointed. And like you said, they're very angry with God. Maybe justice was not served or uh, the people around them believed the lies of their ex or the finances weren't divided up in an equal way. And so the truth is that's not unusual. And here again, that honest, authentic, how do you feel? Because God can handle our anger. I mean, I remember saying, God, I know you're in control, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like it. But just pouring it out. And Job, uh, the Old Testament story of Job, you know, he asked why God. And so many women want to know why God did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow the pain to go on so long? And why do I have to live like this struggling day after day? And it's okay to ask why God. Some people say you shouldn't, but I did. 
But you have to understand you might not always get an answer to why God. And so it comes to the point, are you willing to say God is God and you are not? And there's a lot of wrestling in that. When I was in the trip to Israel, they always said over and over, the blessing is in the wrestling. And that's true. When you wrestle through all that, eventually you can get to the point. But you have to be willing, like Job, to say, yet though you slay me, yet I will trust in you, knowing that you might never know. And like you said, we expect as we grow in our Christian faith, faith that things will get better. But like the disciples who Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, they got in the boat and a big storm came up. So we have to realize that sometimes that suffering uh, doesn't mean we're not following Jesus. Storms happen in our Christian walk. And so how are we going to respond? Not easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy. And I have gone through a journey of asking God why a lot. And I never got an answer that I was happy with. I mean, if you, if God said, like, why, God, did you allow my child to be molested? And he said, well, because, yeah, I mean, what answer could he possibly give you that would you go, oh, okay. I mean, there'd be no answer. And so there is this mystery in our faith. But let me just, if I could share what has helped me quite a bit, and maybe it's helped you too in, in your journey, Georgia, but this verse, and I think it's 2 Peter 1, where it says, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. So when he gives me something I don't like, like a divorce, I don't have a divorce, but if he gave me that or a death of my husband or hardship, or I've had plenty of issues with different life events. And so when he allows hard in my life, instead of asking God anymore, why are you doing this to me? What I ask him is, why are you doing this for me? What is in this for me to learn? Because if he's building spiritual muscles of fortitude and perseverance and endurance, which he tells us suffering produces, then there's a purpose. If he's giving me everything I need for life and godliness, for my life purpose, then I'm going to need some muscles for something he's going to bring to me to do or to be along the way. And so it's much more encouraging to me to say, okay, God, why is this for me? What am I, am I supposed to learn to speak up? Am I supposed to learn to have boundaries? Am I supposed to learn to be stronger? Am I supposed to learn how to forgive better? What is this for me? And that's been really helpful for me to see that God is a good God. And even though he brings tough lessons sometimes or allows hardship, it's not wasted. It's not ever wasted if we see that he's good and he's doing good. Well, and, you know, suffering is like holy ground when we go through these hard times in the fact it's these very conditions that we hate uh, that are the perfect conditions. If we respond, if we're willing to go through this and be honest with God, uh, is these are the perfect conditions for our growth, that we can come out the other side so much better than we were before. And that certainly happened to me. I would have never chosen those things, but I'm more compassionate. I'm more caring of my friends. I appreciate my life in a way I never did before. Uh, and I know the Lord more intimately than I did 
ever did when life was good, so to speak. When Jesus tells us that I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. So often we think that that's a happy life, but often it's, I think more accurately translated a meaningful life Mm -hmm. that we all want to kind of feel like we have a part in God's story, you know, and, and sometimes it's not just being a wife and a mom. It might be not being a wife and a mom. Maybe you're single. Maybe you've never had a marriage or you've never been able to have children, or maybe you have a broken marriage, but you have a purpose beyond your role. And sometimes God allows things in our life to bring us to our purpose. I mean, all the things that you're doing with your group with divorce and all the coaching that you do around women who have been divorced, you wouldn't have the credibility to do what you do had you not gone through what you went through. Mm -mm. No, I very much would not. And it's amazing how comfortable people are knowing uh, what I've gone through um, and learning some of the skills that I needed to learn the hard way. So don't waste our pain because there is purpose in our pain. We're gathering experiences. Yeah, we never wanted, but God's equipping us in a special way to reach out and help others. Georgia, I think one of the things um, that our audience would really want to know is sometimes as a woman, we've never really learned to make good decisions because we sort of have defaulted to our parent as a woman, as to our husband, as the head. And we've never had to make a whole big decision. Like what kind of car are we going to buy? What kind of, how are we going to save our money? How are we going to manage? We haven't had to make those decisions all by ourselves, even parenting decisions. And so how do you step forward into the unknown making these decisions as wise as you can? And what guidance would you give a woman who's having to navigate this all by herself now to making wise choices? Oh, and women often when they're in this position are afraid to make a mistake. But the truth is you probably will make some mistakes along the way. But in James 1, 5, we read, if any of you needs wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, ask God. So I always say, that's the first thing. You want to pray that God will help you. Even getting a bone marrow transplant, they told me I might die having it. But I prayed and God made it clear in such a way that I knew that I knew. But as a general um, way of helping people make decisions, I call it the three H's. The first H is listen to your heart. What is your heart telling you? What are the feelings? Because emotions are very strong, research shows in our brain. So listen to those emotions. Just don't make a lifelong decision based on them. So it's the heart, then it's the head. What are the consequences? What are the facts of this situation? What are other people seeing that maybe we're not seeing? And then as Christians, the third age is the Holy Spirit. When you gather all this, maybe you seek wise counsel of other Christians who share your values. But what is God directing you to do? So listen to, you know, Take stock of your emotions, but just don't make the decision based on those. The facts, the head, heart, head, and Holy Spirit. Those are the three H's that I encourage people to um, look at as they make these difficult decisions. Yeah, and a wrong decision 
so I think we kind of magnify this wrong decision. Like we are limited human beings. And so by that, we're not given the gift of omniscience. We can't see ahead. Like, should I turn right or should I turn left? We can't see ahead, which way is going to bring us to the location that we want to go to before GPS. All right. We couldn't, we didn't know that we had to make a decision. I think I'll go right. But a mistake is only information. It's only information. So a mistake, if you've gone right and you think, oh, I don't think Walmart is down here. It was supposed to be here. It's information. It helps you turn around and go left. I was talking to a woman this morning, Georgia, who was trying to decide whether to leave or stay in her marriage. Um, And I said, I don't know that you need to make that decision yet. Make a smaller decision, like say no to your husband about something he wanted her to do. Say no, because she didn't want to do it. And I said, why don't you just say no? That would be your first decision. And then see how he handles that. Because if he handles that with grace and truth and respects your no, it might not be ready to get a divorce yet, right? But if he gaslights you or intimidates you or bullies you or spiritualizes it and threatens you or uses the Bible to intimidate you and control you, well, then maybe that's a clear, yes, I need to pursue this decision. So sometimes we can make smaller decisions that give clarity on the bigger decisions. The Bible tells us, um, I will instruct you and guide you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you in Psalm 32, 8. And so you're right. We can trust God that even in a wrong turn, he will instruct us to get back on the right road. And that's part of trusting him in the process. That was my favorite verse. And I still repeat that. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And, you know, sometimes we try to make uh, decisions that we don't, just like you said, we don't have all the information but we want closure. So we got to hold off on that final decision until we get more information. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is so important and you do too is teaching women to focus on like kind of discovering what they like, what lights them up, what brings you joy, what brings you a sense of purpose, um, especially in a season of loss that can be very healing and powerful, that life isn't over for you. Like you might still enjoy sitting out in the sunshine. You still might enjoy taking a walk or a bike ride. And even though you're grieving, there are moments of joy if you look for them. And so what are some questions women can ask to explore or uncover what gives them a sense of joy or lights them up or meaning in their life? Well, just asking the what question, what brings me a sense of relief? What brings me a sense of hope? And understand you might not know. I remember people said, just do what you love, Georgia. Well, I had no idea back then because I never thought I was worthy of doing things that I liked or I honestly had no idea. And so it was little by little uncovering, watching myself. And for me, it was garden, God's creation. That was one of the things that, and it still does, the beauty uh, feeds me deep in my soul. So I asked people, well, what do you care deeply about? Uh, what are the life experiences that God's brought in your life that you can use? Because it's that giving in little ways, uh, when you're grieving, you don't have a whole lot to give. And that's the truth. But start looking at what are my life experiences that someday I can use? What are the strengths of my personality? What are the talents and gifts uh, that 
God has given me because God uniquely equips us um, in different ways, like Joshua in the Old Testament. He grew up in slavery. He knew what it was like to live under Pharaoh. He was Moses's right-hand man. Uh, he had been part of the group of 12 that went in to check out the promised land. But he was uniquely equipped that when Moses was at the end of his journey, God called him to go into the promised land. And so how is God equipping you, paying attention to God's hand in your life, answering some of these questions about what do we care deeply about is one of the ways that puts us on the path of finding a sense a meaning and purpose. And joy is not a continuous feeling. Joy is not based on our circumstances. And But we have to ask those questions. We need to find ways of carving out time to do things we do enjoy. That's so helpful. I know when I was writing my book on depression, Georgia, you know, Georgia and I wrote some of our books together. So we've been through this for a long time. And I was counseling women who were so depressed. But the thing I was noticing is they were all in destructive marriages. And God just said, this is nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about this. And I had been in destructive relationship with my mom and had to do a lot of work on what does that look like? How do you set boundaries back when nobody was talking about boundaries? There was no book on boundaries. Can I, can I have my mom babysit my kids? Can I, you know, forgive her? What, what does that look like? I can't trust her. I don't feel safe with her. What is a relationship? How do you honor your mom? All those questions that weren't being talked about then, but he just gave me such a passion for women who were so depressed. And the church's best advice was, you know, Trust Jesus. And, you know, if you have to die being married to a destructive person, you still have to have sex with them, but suffer for Jesus. And I'm like, no, this can't be what God is saying. And it really began to clarify what I was to do with the experience of suffering that I had in my life and the study I had done. And so pay attention to those moments because it may be God's calling you into just like with your divorce and your cancer and all the things you've been through. You're a much more compassionate um, person to help someone who's in that journey than someone who's never experienced that. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be a Christian and feel like you're walking around with a big D on your chest. Or people have told you God hates divorce. And those things are things I care deeply about, that your identity is not in the mm -hmm. fact that you're divorced, that there is life. So yeah, I remember walking with you way back when, when you were just watching and paying attention to what God was giving you about helping others with emotionally destructive relationships. Yeah, it's amazing where where we've been in the last 20 some years, huh? Absolutely. So you've told me more than once, Georgia, your online coaching membership, Rebuild After Divorce, brings you a sense of purpose after all you've been through. So share more about that. Well, I've learned that God can redeem the most hopeless of situations. Like I said, way back then, I couldn't imagine my life ever getting better. But And I know what it feels like to feel helpless and think life's never going to get better. But I had to learn skills I, uh, along the way. And so to learn you know, how to do the work, it doesn't make it easier, but it does make it more doable when you know you're not alone, that you can do the work, overcome some of these uh, obstacles, be part of safe, caring 
communities. And so I can tell you more than once after I finished a rebuild after divorce session online, a Zoom call, and this is the truth, I have just swelled up and thought, God, you have used every experience in my life. You have equipped me for this very thing. And uh, there's a scripture that says he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. So when I can help others rebuild and know that it's not hopeless, that they can get through it, encourage them, support them. For me, that's the best. For me too. And I think so many women have believed that their purpose is done after being a wife and a mom. And it's not. Even if you have an intact marriage, God has a purpose for you being alive. If you're still alive, then you have a purpose for being here. And one of the things that psychology and scripture agrees on is that you get lit up when you find your purpose. When you live according to the way that you were meant to live, and I'm not talking about external pleasure, luxury, all that. I'm talking about when you find your lane and you use your gifts and talents for a larger story's purpose, that makes you feel alive. It makes you feel purposeful. It gives you meaning to your life. And that's what we want. So many of us today have been lured into living for pleasure and wanting to avoid pain. But God says there's a much better path. Pleasure isn't going to give you life, but purpose and meaning does. And so if you're here and you're listening and you're going through a divorce or you've been divorced for a couple of years, but you're just finding yourself languishing, you may want to check out uh, Georgia's Rebuild After Divorce. Georgia, where might they find that? Um georgiaschafer.com and Schaefer's S-H-A-F-F-E-R forward slash rebuild membership. And it gives all the specific things to help people build their confidence, to learn the strategies, to be part of a group so that you don't have to go through this alone. So it's georgiaschafer.com forward slash rebuild membership. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, and I just want everyone who's listening to know that nothing, nothing is wasted. God doesn't waste your tears. He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste all the things you've been through. They're there to serve a purpose. And as you learn, then you're equipped to help someone else learn who's behind you. Thanks so much, Georgia, for being a part of this. Yes. Thank you for having me. Would you be willing to pray for the women who are listening to this before we go? Oh, Lord, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that those who are listening, they're wondering, well, what do I care about? What does bring me joy? How can I make a difference? Because I feel like I'm just existing right now. Father, I just pray that you lead them and guide them. Like you say, I will instruct you and help them pay attention to your uh, your hand in their life. And what are the things, as it turns out, that are happening? And may they constantly turn to you, pray to you, but also to bring and connect uh, into their lives other godly Christian women who will support and encourage them along the way. And so, God, if something's stirring in somebody, a sense of passion and purpose, will they take that step 
into the unknown. Will they take that risk, Father? I pray you pour courage into them um, so that they'll step out and make a difference in the lives of others. And I pray this again in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.